This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, there are two love stories from Greek mythology. In one, we'll meet Narcissus, who happens to be a really nice, caring, and just all-around good guy, if your name happens to be Narcissus. In the other story, we'll meet the ancient Greek equivalent of Jigglypuff. If the creature this week winks at you, you'll just have to try not to vomit as you run away in terror. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, Episode 52, An Eternal Flame. This is a podcast where I tell stories from folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. America's largest publisher of science fiction and fantasy, bringing you over 35 years of excellent fiction. You can now read Arcanum Unbounded, the Cosmere Collection, which is the first story collection from number one New York Times bestselling author Brandon Sanderson. It features Edge Dancer, an all-new Stormlight Archive novella. Arcanum Unbounded, the Cosmere Collection by Brandon Sanderson is available now wherever books are sold. Okay, so we're back in Greek mythology. So the one with Zeus, Hera, Athena, Hercules, Jason, and Medea, and all of them. And you don't need to have heard the previous Greek episodes to listen to this one. The young man, exhausted, laid down by a pond. He had been chasing an animal with his hunting party, but he had gotten separated, and now he had to rest. Then... Relaxing by the pond, he was startled when he saw a young man there, also relaxing. But wow, he was really good looking. That face, those eyes, the rings of golden hair. And the young man was looking back at him. He smiled and the young man smiled back. He waved and the young man waved. He was shy at first, but when he decided to move closer to the young man, the young man moved closer too. He took a deep breath. There was obviously a connection here. He was gonna go for it. And as he did, he saw the young man lean in for a kiss too. This, okay, this was happening. He bent down and was surprised when his face hit the water. Oh, he was not looking at an attractive young man. Well, he was, but that attractive young man was him. He was looking at his own reflection in the pond. But still, wow. Narcissus had gone his entire life without looking in a mirror, and he was about to learn why. He was really, really ridiculously good looking, and that was all the more impressive because he had never seen his reflection before. His handsomeness had left a string of broken hearts and, of course, a few dead bodies. One broken heart was actually right behind him, and her heart was breaking all the more as she watched him fall in love with himself. Put it inappropriately lightly, Zeus wasn't exactly faithful to his wife, Hera. By not exactly faithful, I mean he cheated on her constantly with humans, gods, supernatural creatures, and animals. We don't know if Echo, a nymph, was a willing accomplice or if she was forced to cover for Zeus, but she did. Echo used to watch Hera when Hera thought that Zeus might be out being horrific. If it looked like Hera was getting suspicious and wondering where Zeus was or other trivialities like why is the earth covered in smoke or why is nighttime lasting three times longer than normal, then Echo would delay her so Zeus could finish being disgusting. 
Like that coworker who just wants to strike up a lengthy conversation when you're trying to beat the traffic on a Friday afternoon, Echo would trap Hera in tedious small talk. Once Hera was able to remove herself from the conversation, it would be too late. And Zeus's rendezvous with the human god nymph or animal would be complete. This happened enough that Hera grew suspicious. One time, when she saw Zeus fly off in the shape of a swan, Echo started talking to Hera about the weather, or, or whatever Olympian small talk would be. Hera held up her hand. Okay, she said, stop. How long have you been doing this? Echo froze. She said she didn't know what Hera was talking about, but Hera only waited until Echo broke under the pressure. She confessed to everything, throwing herself completely on the mercy of Hera. If you've heard basically any other Greek mythology episode on this podcast, you'll know that this was a very poor decision. Hera had brutally tortured Zeus's victims, so there was no mercy to be had for someone aiding and abetting Zeus's infidelity. As far as punishments go, it was considerably lighter than being turned into a cow and chased by a fly across the world, or being driven mad and murdering your family. Basically, Echo wouldn't be starting any more conversations. She could only speak when spoken to, and then she could only repeat the words that were said. Whether she was forced out from Olympus, or people just got really sick of having the same conversation with her, is unknown, but sometime later, she was wandering the wilderness. It was difficult to know people when you couldn't talk to them, and at this point, it was just easier to be by herself. She would hear people calling out to each other in the forest, and she would call back. And for a few moments, she would feel like she had friends, or at least someone to talk to. Now, the language thing is difficult, but you could make it work in a relationship. You'd have to be smart about it, but she can selectively repeat things her husband, or anyone, would say to her, so she could eventually get around this hurdle and have a deep and loving relationship. And Echo would fall in love. Unfortunately, it would be the future namesake of the term narcissist. When Narcissus was born, he was blessed with not only really great bone structure, but a long life, so far as he never knew himself. His parents probably thought that this was a peculiar thing and probably encouraged him to be a shallow jerk with precisely zero introspection. At the age of 16, Narcissus was good looking. The problem? He knew it. It wasn't just like having a good self-esteem where you're happy and love yourself. No, he was insufferable. Combining everyone loving him and telling him how good looking he was with the admonishment that he never knows himself and you have a completely vapid, arrogant, and cruel person with no insight into just how vapid, arrogant, and cruel he was. One day, Echo heard footsteps and heavy breathing. She ran to it, but stayed hidden. She parted the leaves to see the most beautiful young man she had ever seen. He was sweating and breathing hard. He was out on a hunt. He was lost, too. He called out to his companions, who were leagues away, and said, Is anyone here? Without realizing it, Echo screamed out, Here! in response. She put her hands over her mouth. Then, the young man yelled out, Come to me. She took a deep breath. Okay, she was going to try this. She yelled back, come to me. He looked at the bush in front of him that was talking. The voice had come from there. He said, okay, let's get together. Still thinking it was his companions. Echo's face lit up. Let's get together? Yes, please. She excitedly said the same words back to him and leapt from the bush. Now, seeing her rushing from a bush with outstretched arms might be a welcome sight to most as soon as they got over the shock of someone charging out of a bush after them. You should not jump out of bushes hugging strangers without said stranger's consent. Just don't do it. Echo made that mistake, but 
that wasn't what Narcissus had a problem with. It wasn't surprise that offended Narcissus. Narcissus's problem wasn't so much that he didn't like to be touched. It was just that he didn't see anyone as worthy of touching him. He pushed her aside and spat curses at her. He yelled at her, Do you have any idea how good looking I am? Because I do. Determining that this stranger's self-worth needed to be thoroughly ground down, he continued. He didn't need to. She was obviously heartbroken, but he's Narcissus. He yelled, I would rather die before I give you a chance at me. She said, sadly and quietly, I give you a chance at me. He sneered at her, disgusted, and didn't say another word. He ran off, back in the direction of his friends. Echo sat down, but she couldn't even weep. She couldn't make a sound on her own. It had been her first attempt at a human connection since Hera cursed her, and this man, who was everything she thought she wanted, had soundly rejected her. Instantly, with one look, she was a fool to think that she could live a normal life, that she could find love. Racked with pain and despair from their rejection, Echo went deeper into the forest. Part of Hera's curse was that Echo would age, but never die. She was so lonely that she went to the dark places of the world and refused to eat. She refused to do anything except languish in her sadness. Days turned to weeks, and weeks to months, and soon she was too weak to stand. Her body wasted away in the darkness. One morning, she was horrified to look down and see her skin rotting off her legs and arms. Her organs were exposed and no longer working. But somehow, she still had a voice. For the brave, foolish, or unfortunate who found themselves in Echo's cave, when they called out, she would reply from deep in the darkness. Though it was almost worse to talk to people and be reminded of the world that continued on without her. After months and months, her body was gone, but still, her voice remained. When the last bit of flesh had rotted away, she found that she could move again, though this time she was invisible and intangible. She left her bones, the final connections to her previous life, there in the darkness of the cave. Emerging into the sunlight, Echo heard noises. A hunt. She didn't see him at first, sit down in exhaustion by the pond. She also didn't know that the horrible, completely avoidable death that he was about to experience was partially due to her and those like her. As we talked about, Narcissus left a trail of broken hearts and dead bodies. Some people killed themselves when they couldn't be with him. One actually at his prompting. Many cried out to Nemesis. Nemesis was the goddess in Greek mythology, but she really didn't play an active role as a character, like Zeus, Athena, and Hera, but she's more of a personified concept. She's an Avenger, but not like that. Her name in the Greek means to give what is due. She's less of a vengeance figure and more of a figure of justice, though. She gives people what they deserve, whether it's good or bad. Well, that's up to them. As we've talked about, Narcissus had a lot to be worried about from Nemesis, and it was she who led him to the clearing, she who separated him from the others, and placed him beside a pond that was as still as glass that had never been disturbed. When he rolled over after resting on the grass and saw his reflection, he was trapped. He was trapped in the way that a dog holding a stick that's too big for a doorway is trapped, or Homer Simpson getting his arm stuck in a vending machine because he wouldn't let go of a pop can. All Narcissus had to do was get over himself. Of course, that is the one thing Narcissus was completely unable to do. Echo arrived around attempted makeout session number three, aka the third time Narcissus almost drowned. It's 
kind of back up from the story, this one's difficult to play straight because Narcissus was alternating between whispering sweet nothings to his reflection and loudly lamenting that he'll never be able to touch the one he loves, his own reflection. I don't know if Echo thought that he would snap out of it and leave the pond, but around day three, it became apparent that he would rather waste away and die here than be parted from his own reflection for an instant. It wasn't just his attraction to the image. He had found his one true love. Himself. Part tragic, part fitting retribution, and mostly profoundly ridiculous, Narcissus accepted his fate. When he became too weak to stand after days and days of talking to himself, he could take some consolation in the fact that he would die, but at least he would die with the one he loved. Himself. This bizarrely avoidable tragedy did not invoke eye rolls from Echo, who stood behind Narcissus as his life began to leave him. She was unable to embrace or comfort him. Remember, she didn't have a form anymore. She was just a voice. She was unable to show him that he did not need to die here, that they could find love together. She could only watch as he struggled to say, Farewell, dear boy, who I loved in vain. He said it to the reflection of himself, but in the last moments of life, he thought he heard an echo behind him, saying, Farewell, dear boy, who I loved in vain. Echo watched Narcissus die and slowly be consumed by the earth. She would return to the spot occasionally to remember the boy. On the spot where he died, beautiful flowers had popped out of the ground. They would come to be known as Narcissus flowers and spread around the world to remind everyone of one foolish kid's pointless death and narcissism. The more common name for the narcissus is the daffodil, which my wife just explained to me, are exceptionally beautiful because they pop up early, but they are also among the first to die each year, which is kind of an interesting correlation to the narcissus myth. And really quickly, like most Greek myths, this one has some conflicts. Some have narcissus dying of grief. Some have him stabbing himself because he can't be with himself. And some just have him turning into the narcissus flower or daffodil. The last one makes the least sense to me, but that's the one you'll probably find in your kids' books. Also, we can't really talk about Narcissus without talking about Narcissism and Narcissistic Personality Disorder, which those are two different things, but we'll just focus on the disorder. With my education from my psych minor, I only know how deeply unqualified I am to talk about this, so I'll keep it brief. Narcissistic Personality Disorder, though, isn't just focused on looks like Narcissus was but it moves far beyond that to encompass a more general, unrealistic sense of superiority over others, need for admiration, and lack of empathy. It's characterized by arrogance, exploitative behavior, a sense of entitlement to special treatment, and, among other things, fixations on fantasies of power, success, intelligence, and, yes, attractiveness. All in all, given the young man we just got to know, it really does seem like an appropriate name. Speaking of names, Echo, in Greek, apparently just means sound. And since she can't die, she has continued on to this day. You might hear her calling back to you from the vast and lonely places in the world. Personally, any podcaster will tell you that having Echo hang around when you're recording is super annoying. I put foam up on my wall and ceilings to try to drive her from my office. And in the early days of the podcast, I used to grab my mic, surround myself with coats, and hide from her in my car. Next, we're meeting up with a former Argonaut. And that will be right after this. This week's episode is brought to you by Loot Crate. If you're on a quest for epic gear, housewares, and collectibles this holiday season, Loot Crate offers an epic range of pop culture items for less than $20 a month. 
Whether you're shopping for that geek in your life or you are that geek in your life, Loot Crate is the best surprise you know is coming. Every month there's a different theme and new exclusive items that you can only get with Loot Crate. Treat yourself every month or give the gift of geeking out. I've been subscribed to Loot Crate for months. Last month was particularly cool. It came with, among other things, a Fantastic Beasts t-shirt and a Doctor Strange figure. So now the Sorcerer Supreme protects my mic from magical threats. Next month sounds really cool. They're always watching. They designed a system to keep you down. They're meddlesome. It's time for a revolution. Fight the power and pave the way for a better tomorrow with December's Rebellious Crate, featuring exclusive items from Assassin's Creed, Mr. Robot, Firefly, and more, including an exclusive Funko Pop figure and the monthly t-shirt and pin. But remember, you only have until the 19th at 9pm Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. Head over to lootcrate.com slash legends and enter code legends to save $3 off your new subscription today. This week's episode is brought to you by Seedling. If you're looking for holiday gifts for the kids on your list, you should really check out Seedling. Seedling has kits for kids to do and make all sorts of things, from making rocket ships and solar systems to mini foosball tables, snow globes, superhero masks, and even a design-your-own virtual reality maze that pairs with an iOS or Android app where kids or you, can place it on their head and walk through a maze that they've designed. I found Seedling to be cool because it encourages kids to make the play their own. Everything is included in the kit, and Seedling doesn't provide the same step-by-step instructions that you'll find with other things, because they want the child to be in the driver's seat and have the freedom to do it their own way. We picked out the Design Your Own Dragon, because this is the Myths and Legends podcast, and of course I picked out the Design Your Own Dragon. Everything is high quality, and it was a fun way to spend the morning. You can go explore their newest and best-selling collections for yourself or for awesome gifts at seedling.com. That's S-E-E-D-L-I-N-G.com. Enter code LEGENDS for $10 off your purchase of $30 or more. That's seedling.com. Code LEGENDS. Seedling. Growing creative kids. All right, now back to the show. Now, we're going to be telling the story of Orpheus after he got back from the trip on the Argo. If you remember, he was the really good musician. Don't worry, though. You don't need to have listened to that four-parter. I think we only talked about him, like, twice. Orpheus was known all around the world as one who not only survived the trip on the Argo, but upstaged the sirens and played the testosterone-packed wedding reception of Jason and Medea. He was the son of the King of Thrace, and it's said that Hermes invented the lyre but Orpheus perfected it. He could play and sing so well that even the trees and rocks would dance, and he could calm beasts large and small. Orpheus was also the best poet, songwriter, and musician to have ever existed. Now having returned from the east with the Argo, and at the ripe old age of 20-something, he was prepared to settle down and live out his twilight years. He got married. He married Eurydice, an oak nymph, and one of the daughters of Apollo. And... They were happy. They lived for years outside of Tempe, and it looked like Orpheus would have one of those rare happy endings for a Greek hero, content to live out his life as the former Argonaut and the best musician in the world. Unfortunately, the fates had other plans. One day, Eurydice was walking back from town. It was a nice warm afternoon, and she could hear the sounds of her husband's lyre echoing through the valley outside their home. She had walked into town to trade some goods, and though she knew the world was a dangerous place, she didn't think anything of making the trip alone. She had made this trip hundreds of times. Besides, she was a daughter of Apollo, 
Then her husband, an Argonaut, was in earshot. She listened to the far off music and was so happy that this was her life. She was so enraptured in the music and the warmth that she didn't see the stranger until he was almost right next to her. She smiled and nodded, but he just looked at her as he passed. She tried to continue enjoying the music, but she had this feeling like she was being watched, like the stranger was still there. She turned to look off in the direction of the mountain to inconspicuously see if he had kept walking, but he hadn't. He had stopped, and he was looking at her. She kept walking like normal, trying to convince herself that he was just an honorable man, enjoying the music in the sunlight, like her. She attempted another glance, and this time she saw him looking at her with a wide, sinister smile and start walking her way. She broke off into a run, and he chased. She wasn't far from home now, in the valley. She would get there. Her husband kept a spear by the door. It would be okay. She would make it. He was fast, though, and she could hear his footsteps. He was too close. She would need to take a shortcut. She could hear him right behind her, and she broke off to the right, through the tall grass and the trees. She didn't want to waste time screaming, but she knew, as he was catching up quickly, that home was too far away, and she knew that the man would catch her. She would fight him, of course, but Orpheus had to come. She began screaming Orpheus's name. Sitting outside their humble home, Orpheus heard only his music. The trees and the rocks and the grass swayed with him. If he hadn't been so caught up in his music, he would have heard his wife screaming for help as she ran. The man caught her. Well, he caught up to her. He reached for her tunic, but she turned her ankle and went down. He tripped trying to avoid her, lost his balance, and rolled. Eurydice was panicked, but hopeful. The music was loud now. She was close. She looked up at the stranger painfully picking himself off the ground. She was at the tree line near her house, the whole forest swaying gently to her husband's music. She just had to get to her feet. Then, she felt it. A viper was coiled around her ankle. She was close. She had made it. She could see her husband through the trees. This wasn't supposed to happen. The viper didn't wait. Mere seconds after she saw it, it buried its fangs in her heel. Pain shot through her body, and she uttered a guttural, primal scream before the darkness took her. Orpheus dropped his lyre. Was that a scream? And then he saw a man standing at the edge of the forest, looking down at something. Orpheus yelled and grabbed his sword, running after the man. The man looked back in panic to see a legendary Greek warrior running after him with a sword, and wisely ran for his life. Orpheus would have pursued the menacing stranger if he hadn't seen what the stranger was looking at. Eurydice, Orpheus's wife, laying on the forest floor, looking like she was sleeping peacefully, if not for the viper that was coiled around her ankle. Orpheus beheaded the viper with one stroke. He scooped Eurydice off the forest floor, held her body in his arms, and wept. Things got bad. If someone can play so happily that the forests and the rocks dance, he can also play such sad songs that the world grinds to a halt. Even the gods cried for Eurydice. Also, before we get too far away from it, the stranger was Aristeus. He was a human and not really relevant to the story, but in addition to attacking young women on the road, he also invented beekeeping. So there's that. Anyway, for months after Eurydice's funeral, Orpheus played mournful, heartbreaking dirges. He couldn't stand to stay in the house he had shared with his wife, and so he traveled the world. And in the cities and ports and echoing across the plains, 
His songs carried sadness to whomever would hear them. To whoever would hear them. One day, walking along the road, he was surrounded by beautiful strangers. They were nymphs, friends of Eurydice, and they gave their condolences and were sorry for his loss and all that. But really, he needs to cut it out with the emo music. He is bumming everyone out. They understand he's sad, but he needs to move on. Find a hobby. Hercules uses monster fights and deadly naked wrestling matches to get out of his funks. Might be worth a try. Orpheus said absolutely not. The pain the world felt was a fraction of what he felt. She was gone, and he would mourn Eurydice for the rest of his days. Well, okay, the nymph said, but, but what if she was not gone? Like, why don't you just go get her? Wait, what? Orpheus said. Yeah, in the underworld, the nymph said. Why don't you just go ask Hades if you can take her home? I mean, it's incredibly dangerous and he's super scary, but if it will get you to stop singing, go for it. People go down there all the time. Heck, Theseus is chained up down there right now. Don't worry though, he'll be back. As we've talked about in previous Greek myth episodes, there are actually a few different entrances to the underworld in Greece, and the brave or stupid or both could try to make their way down. Of course, there were a few prerequisites, like having the toll money for Charon, or being able to fight or evade the three-headed hellhound Cerberus. Orpheus had no money or weapons, but he did have his lyre. In the murky darkness of the underworld, he began plucking out a tune. It was upbeat and encouraging, happy and congenial. He approached the river Styx, that separated the underworld from the world of the living. Sitting in the boat was the ferryman Charon. His cracked and wrinkled skin gripped the oar as he scowled at this man playing his lyre as he just walked aboard the ferry. The man didn't even ask. That's not how things worked in this place. But wow, Charon thought to himself, this song is really good. You know what? It's a slow day. He would just count the song as payment and take Orpheus across. Orpheus reached the other side and he kept walking. He approached the gates of Hades' realm, and before him was the massive three-headed hound that may or may not have had a mane of snakes, or snakes running down his back, or snake tails. It barked a warning bark or three, and then started charging. But Orpheus' song had changed. It was slower now. The hound charged the singer, but his paws were feeling heavy. Then his eyes... And then he had to sit down, the, the singer would come to him. And then he was just gonna close his eyes for a minute and rest them. Orpheus walked right past the sleeping dog. Orpheus had a different song for every occasion. Then he reached the palace at the center of the underworld and our old friend Theseus was chained up outside as part of his story we'll get to eventually. Oh, hey Theseus, Orpheus said, how's it going? Theseus rattled his chains, I, I've been better, you? Same, just trying to bargain with Hades to rescue my dead wife. Oh my gosh, you got married, Theseus said. Congratulations. But you know what? I know you're busy. I'll let you go. We'll catch up another time. Good luck with Hades. I'll, uh, I'll be here. That's when Orpheus heard the doors of the palace slam open. It was him, the god of the underworld, Hades himself, and his not at all consensual bride, Persephone. In another story we'll get to eventually, Orpheus changed his song again. I don't know what was said, and you do not want me to try and sing anything ever, but Orpheus did it. He convinced Hades to let him take Eurydice back with him. Orpheus saw Eurydice, 
and he had to let down his lyre. He rushed to her and tried to embrace her, to hold her again, but he went right through her. She wasn't alive down here, she was just a shade, a shadow. Also, Orpheus had stopped singing, and the power of his song was already starting to wane. Hades did not like giving up his dead. He said that Orpheus could take Eurydice, but she would only return to her living form when the sunlight touched her. And Hades had a little game. From the moment they left the palace, Orpheus could not look back at his wife. If he did, she would be lost to him forever. If she made it to the sunlight without looking back, they could resume their life together. Deal? Standing at the door of the palace, Orpheus told his wife that it was almost over. He would play his lyre, and she should just follow the sound. No matter what tricks or darkness they were up against, Orpheus wouldn't look back until they hit the sunlight. They were going to do this. Okay, so we don't have any idea what song he played, but we do know that none of the creatures of the underworld gave them any problems on their way out. In my mind... Orpheus played something romantic and inspirational, and it was like the last scene of Officer and a Gentleman, with all the shades and scary mythological creatures wiping their eyes and clapping for the pair as they left the underworld together to some version of Love Lifts Us Up Where We Belong that was just different enough so that Orpheus wouldn't have to pay royalties. Soon, they were past Cerberus, over Styx, and climbing on the crags. Orpheus had to sling his lyre over his back. He needed both hands to climb out of the cave, Besides, they were mere feet from the mouth of the cave, and sunlight, and a life together. Orpheus talked to his wife, telling her how excited he was, how much he had missed her, how now they would get to do all the things they talked about, how they would grow old together. Out of breath and scraped from climbing, Orpheus felt the last rock and pushed himself from the hole. He walked a few feet in the sunlight, beaming wide, and turned around. He saw his wife there but she wasn't in the sunlight. She was still a shade, and she was just inches from the opening. She was about to take that final step when Orpheus turned around too quickly. He was so excited for them being together that he didn't stop to think that she might just be a couple more feet behind him. He told her, he begged her to take one more step, but she was frozen in place. Then, she began to be sucked back down into the darkness into the underworld. Orpheus screamed and rushed to her, but by the time he even made it to the cave, she was already disappearing into the darkness, being pulled back into Hades. Orpheus flung himself down the rocks with abandon, and when he hit the bottom, he couldn't see her. He rushed back and played his music for Carrion, and the ferryman reluctantly led him across. Then, he came to Cerberus, but he saw that he could go no farther. The hound's ears had been stopped up so that he couldn't hear. Maybe Hades used wax like Odysseus would use when facing the sirens, or maybe he had three adorable pairs of dog earmuffs. Regardless, Cerberus was not going to let the little man pass, and snapped at Orpheus, warning him to turn back. Orpheus looked on, to the bleak mists of the underworld. He knew that his Eurydice was forever lost to him now. When it comes to what happens next in Orpheus's story, a lot of sources conflict. He was absolutely extremely depressed, but he didn't put the world through his pain again. He also didn't live long. 
He revered Apollo and refused to worship Dionysus. Dionysus, the god of wine, ritual madness, and fertility, was not happy about this. And instead of letting the man who had just lost his wife twice grieve and make an ill-conceived decision, Dionysus decided to really drive the point home. And he had his roving band of intoxicated, possessed, murderous women tear Orpheus limb from limb. Some places say that he was torn apart because he was railing against Dionysus' human sacrifices. Some because the women were mad at him for vowing never to love again. Some sources say that Zeus struck him dead with a thunderbolt because he was revealing the mysteries of the gods to the world. We're going to go with him being torn to pieces, but it's not actually the end for him. Thinking he was dead, Dionysus' women, and Dionysus will have his own episode at some point. It's a really interesting story. Well, the woman threw his head into the river. It floated away until it was pulled out by some nymphs, who were surprised to find that it was still alive and talking to them. Orpheus was terrified, and they did not know what to do with the head. So they just stuck it in a cave. The glass jar technology from Futurama not really being around yet. After this extremely unlikely turn of events, Orpheus found that he not only couldn't move, but didn't need food anymore, and also he could see the future. I don't know how long it took until a passerby heard the shouting from the head inside the cave, but after that, Orpheus was famous. Going to see the disembodied head who could tell you your future became a fun weekend trip for families from all around Greece. But soon, he became too popular. One afternoon, Orpheus looked up at the next person in line. When Apollo, the god, stepped before Orpheus, his disguise dropped, and Orpheus could see his radiance. If you remember, Apollo was actually his father-in-law, and he wasn't even really angry that Orpheus was stealing all the worshippers from the Delphic Oracle. He just wanted Orpheus to stop. Orpheus said that that was all he had ever wanted was to stop. But he had this gift and he couldn't die. So he might as well put it to use. Apollo asked him what he wanted. He could return Orpheus's body to him. He could make Orpheus immortal. There were still some spots left to become a constellation. That's something people are doing. Orpheus looked up at Apollo, his father-in-law, with a mournful look in his eye. He just said, You know what I want. Apollo nodded and tears dropped. He put his hand on Orpheus's head. With that, life finally left Orpheus. Apollo took up the head and placed a gold coin over each eye. He was going to bury his son-in-law. The ferry across the river Styx rocked back and forth. Orpheus didn't have his lyre, but he did have the coins this time. He presented the coins that his father-in-law had left him. He was dead, after all. There was none of the danger the last time. He was a shade now. He was supposed to be in the underworld. He passed Cerberus without instant and entered the realm of Hades. It took some searching. There were a lot of dead, but he didn't need food or drink or even sleep now. But like I said, it took some searching. Finally, he saw her sitting by a pool dipping her foot in the water, even though the foot didn't even move the surface. He would know her anywhere, but he saw the bite marks on her heel from the viper. It was her. He had found Eurydice. He went and put his hand on her shoulder. She turned around in surprise, but her jaw dropped when she saw it was him. They both began weeping and embracing. After all this time, all they had been through, they had found each other. The Greek underworld was not like the Christian hell. 
That's more similar to Tartarus. Remember that hot place where Sisyphus is forever rolling the stone. The vast majority of people in Greek mythology end up in the underworld, the realm of Hades after death. That being said, it was not a particularly nice place. It was cold, murky, shadowy, and desolate. Though, for Orpheus and Eurydice, after all they had been through to be together, they couldn't have been happier. Holding hands and leaning on each other in the land of eternal darkness, they were in heaven. Full disclosure, I could only find it in one place that Orpheus went to the underworld after death and was reunited with Eurydice. That's the ending I like best, but it, admittedly, doesn't fit super well with what I read about Greek burial practices. Like I said, there are several variations on this tale. In one, he has to take Eurydice all the way home before she'll be free. He failed there too. The general story is that he wasn't allowed back into the underworld a second time. Modern interpretations say that you can't enter the underworld twice by the same gate like a really sad, gloomy Narnia. But I can't find that in the ancient texts. I thought the dog hearing protection was a way to have it kind of make sense. That's it for this week. Next week on the podcast, I'll be telling the story of a dragon slayer from South Africa, and her story includes, of course, a snarky con turtle. Also, there's an extended creature of the week, where we'll be talking about the leprechaun. Instead of thank yous and the membership thing, I just want to say that there's a new episode of Career Day out this week. The other podcast we do that's produced and hosted by my wife, Carissa. It looks at careers, yes, but mainly the people and their journeys. This week is the internet. And in this episode, you'll see what video games, BuzzFeed, Pokemon, and cute dog pictures have in common. It's a fun episode, so please check it out. To subscribe on iTunes, just go to itunes.careerdayshow.com or just look for Career Day by Carissa Weiser wherever you get your podcasts. The creature this week is the Shirime from Japanese folklore. Okay, so you're walking along the street at night, alone. It's late and dark, and you get a bad feeling about the stranger approaching you. There's nothing particularly scary about the person from a distance, but then you get close enough to see their face, or lack thereof. The face is just straight skin, from chin to inaccurately named forehead. It's just a featureless skull-shaped circle, the creature's kind of like Slender Man without being slender. Then, this being talks to you and asks if you have a moment. You are completely scared and confused, but before you can respond, his pants are off and he's mooning you, and you need to shield your eyes from his eye, which is situated right where the anus should be and shining like lightning. This is the Shirime. It's a creature with no facial features, well, no distinguishing features at all, except for the aforementioned eye in the place of its anus. You'll run away screaming because that's really the only rational response, and the Shirime will just collapse in hysterical laughter. He won't chase you, either. He has one main hobby, and that's showing unwitting strangers his anus eye. And once he's done with that, well, it's pants on, and time to wait for the next stranger to blast with his lightning anus eye. And that's something I thought I'd never say. Mythology is weird, guys. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Links to other music are in the show notes. Thanks again to Loot Crate for sponsoring today's episode. Loot Crate offers an epic range of pop culture items for less than $20 a month. 
for this month, they're always watching, and they've designed a system to keep you down. It's time for a revolution. Check out December's Rebellious Crate, featuring exclusive items from Assassin's Creed, Mr. Robot, Firefly, and more, including an exclusive Funko Pop figure, the monthly t-shirt, and pin. And you only have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. Make sure you head to lootcrate.com legends and enter code legends to save $3 on your new subscription today. All right, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.